so much, Todd. This morning, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and open them with me to Matthew chapter 23. As Todd has stated so clearly, what I want to do today is look at the big biblical admonition and definition of servant. Through the years, I've had the opportunity to introduce a lot of people at different functions here or in convention uh, settings or other things where I've served. And as an MC, you're called upon to read a brief resume of of the person about to speak. In all those years, we've talked about the books they've written, the places where they attended school, how many degrees they've got, how long they've pastored, or how long they've been a professor at such and such institution. But I can honestly say in all the years, it was never on a resume, servant of the Most High God. I've done tons of baccalaureate services back when those were done by schools before we got too big for our britches and forgot God. I've done a lot of graduation things for both high school and college students. And in those times, I've had students put on the screen all that they hope to do. I'm going away to college. I'm going to the military. I'm going to go to the Votech. I'm starting this job. And in all those 45 years of being a pastor, I can honestly say I never had a single student say, when it's my time to be a senior, here's what I want said of me. I want to be a servant of God. Now that's interesting, and I I guess I know why, because most of us think that servant sounds a little bit degrading, but the truth is, it is the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In fact, I want us to look this morning at Matthew 23. Jesus was talking both to those who were rulers in the temple and those who were people just listening in the temple. Here's what he says in Matthew 23, verse 8. Listen to this. Jesus said, as for you, talking about you who want to be my people... You who are here listening and say, I'd like to be part of the family of God through Christ Jesus. As for you, don't be called rabbi, talking to his disciples. Don't look for a title because you have one teacher. That's what the word rabbi means. You have a teacher. And it's not a man. You have a teacher. And you're just brothers following that same rabbi, Jesus, that teacher. Verse 9, don't call anyone on earth father. You have one Father, and it's capitalized, the Father who is in heaven. Don't be called masters either. You have a master, the Messiah. And then verse 11 of Matthew 23 is our focus. The greatest among you, the greatest among you who here does not aspire to someday be great. I want to be remembered. I'd like my family to think I was pretty special. I want my friends to remember me as somebody did great things. You want to be great, he said. Here it is, verse 11. The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself, bad news, you're full of pride. He said, you're going to be humbled. But he said, if you're an humble person, God himself will exalt you. This morning, I want us to consider what it means to be a servant of God, because I don't think we really understand what the word servant means. In our culture, we sure don't. And yet, as we hear about the word servant, I need to tell you, slavery is not dead. In fact, while we're in this nice room, sitting in padded chairs and perfectly controlled air system, good lighting, most of us had breakfast, we're looking forward to lunch. While we're in this marvelous, pristine setting, there are more people today trapped in slavery, either mining, industrial, or human trafficking. There are more slaves in 2015 than any other time in history. So in case you think slavery is a part of antiquity, there were slaves from the beginning. Uh, Very shortly after Adam and Eve, and when cultures formed, certain men became slaves, either because of war, through birth, or because of debt. 
And today there are more people bought and sold than any other time in history. But we can't comprehend servant because in our culture, a servant's that person you hire to maybe clean your house once a week. They, they're, they're serving, providing a service. It's the person when you're having a banquet you call a caterer and they bring people to help serve the meal. That, that's not the biblical word. The word servant means slave. And slaves, slaves were property. I'm not going to get gross and graphic, but the truth is a slave, when they were purchased, were in a, in, in a marketplace and slaves were brought in and they were stripped down to nothing and most often totally nothing. Why? Because a pr- pr- prospective buyer didn't see this person as a person. They saw them as property. And if I'm going to spend good money and buy you to work in my field or work in my stables or work in my house, I want to know what are you made of. Don't, don't put on your nice clothes. I want to see underneath. How strong are those hips? How strong are those legs? How, how stout is that back? Let me feel those muscles. Let me look at your teeth like an animal. You're talking about degrading. You're standing in front of everybody with nothing on and people are passing by checking you out. That's humiliating. You know where I was when Christ found me? Totally exposed in my sin. You say, what do you mean? Do you understand every time you open your mouth, you're telling somebody, you want to know what I'm really like beneath all these, this sweater and shirt? Let, let me open my mouth because it's a wellspring of my heart. And you say, oh my, I didn't. Did you know he thought that way and talked that way? See, you've just exposed yourself to the world. Every time you do something, you're showing the world, Here, here's what I really believe. And I may go to church on Sunday, but that doesn't stop what I drink through the week and what I do for entertainment, what I watch on my computer and how I treat my wife and what I say to my children and stealing from my boss and lying on my income tax. Do you understand that when you sin, you're exposed to the world? And you're saying to the world, here's what I really am. Here's what I really, here's what I really am. Now, today, when we say we're, in, we're, we're among sinners, we don't think the worst of the worst. We think, well, you know, it's the people who, they probably don't talk nice, or, or they may get drunk once in a while, they may have a drug here and there, but they're not bad people. That, that's not the group I'm in. And I hate to tell you, that's not the group you're in. That, that, that is sin, but that's not the group. You know the group I'm in? I, I'm standing with every liar that ever told a lie. I, that's the group I'm in. I'm standing with every terrorist that ever killed anybody. That's the group I'm in. I'm in the group with everybody that ever got so angry they could kill somebody because I've been angry a bunch of times. And the Bible says when you're angry to the point of call on to kill them, you've already killed them in your heart or you killed them with the tongue through their rep- trying to destroy their reputation. I'm an adulterer. The Bible says if you look on a woman and want her, anybody here ever look on another person of another gender? I'm standing with all the homosexuals. I'm standing with all the perverts. I'm standing with the person that steals from their boss. I'm standing with the person that's blasphemous. I'm in that meat market. And I wasn't saved because I was a pretty good person. I was saved because without Christ, I'm lost. And I'm a slave to sin. You serve, what you serve is your master. If you work all week so you can buy stuff, that's your master. I work all week so I can party hardy on the weekend. That's your master. I work hard so I can pay for that boat to be on the lake. That's your master. Whatever you spend your energies doing, that owns you. And so the Bible says you and I are slaves without Christ. Now, I've got to tell you two or three things about a slave. First of all, slaves were bought. The, the master would come by. By the way, a slave didn't choose the master. The master decided which ones he'd take home as slaves. And once he found the strongest and the best and ones he could afford, he'd buy those and he'd take them home with him because they were bought. The Bible says, you know what? You're not your own. 
You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Now, we don't act like it. In fact, we get pretty, I'll tell you right now, you're not telling me what to do. You a slave are? You belong to Jesus. I'll tell you right now, nobody's going to make me do anything. And you're a slave. How many rights did slaves have roughly? How many rights, how many rights did a slave have? When they got bought, did they barter for their days off? Did they barter for their benefit package? Did they barter for their wage? Did they barter for their housing? How many rights did a slave have? you walk around telling people, I'll tell you right now what I am. I'll tell you, you better respect me. I'm, I'm somebody. The Bible says, wait a minute, you've been bought with a price. You're not your own. And can I tell you what you were paid for with? He didn't buy you with silver and gold. He bought you with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I appreciate the fact that when we have a Veterans Day or Memorial Day or Fourth of July and we have a color guard bring the colors down, I watch you all me to stand to your feet and somebody put your hand over your heart because you're remembering people that paid with their lives so you can be free in America. I can preach on the cross and you'll be reading on your iPhone, clipping your fingernails, sleeping. And yet Jesus Christ bought you out of the market of sin to put you into heaven to serve him for all the days of your life and you find him boring. Slave? But the Bible says that's what you are. The Bible says you're bought. Secondly, the Bible says you were bought with a great price. Can I tell you the price was the blood of Jesus? But do you know what the slave owner did? Once he got you and he got you home, you know what he do? He give you a new name. I got a new name. I, I know my last name. My name is part of the family of God. I'm called the, of the Christian family. That's a follower of Jesus. So, so I've been born into a new family. My earthly name, my, my surname on earth is Garland. My, my surname in glory is Christian. I got a new name. When slaves would come to America from Africa, white folks then couldn't pronounce African names any better than we can today. And so what they would do, the master would often give the slave, slave a name that it was easy for them and they at least go to church on Sunday. So they knew some biblical names. So your name is now Moses. Your name's Abraham. Your name's Elijah. And they'd name them for names that were Americanized. And the slave said, that's not my name. He said, it is now. You're mine. Your name from now is this. You know, God gave me a new name. It's called Christian, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. He's my master. Secondly, not only gave you a good name. See, slaves prayed to get a good master. Now, slavery is atrocious even with the best of masters, but at least you had a good master. He treated you with some degree of kindness. If you had a bad master, your life was going to be hell. It was awful because he had no reason to treat you nice. Who's going to say anything if you beat a slave? That's property. Who's going to say anything if you, you, you make a slave sleep outside? He's property. What if you give him an old tent with holes in it to live in? That who cares? He's property. But you know, a good master would take care of a slave and he gave him clothes to wear. Now, most of the time, the clothes a slave got were not good ones. They, they would throw me down, hand me downs. They were something somebody got somewhere, riches way too big, a shirt way too big, dresses that just barely fit, normally just something you'd the slave would co- cover a woman to keep her from being immodest, unless they worked in the house. And then you wanted the slaves to look nice because they're going to be dealing with people. And when he gave you something to wear, it normally wasn't much. He didn't want to spend much. Even a good master said, you're going to be out in the field. You wear that till it rots and I'll get you something else. He didn't care about what you wear. I got a good master. He didn't give me just anything to wear. The Bible says he gave me a new robe of righteousness. Isaiah 61. I, I love this text. Listen to what it says. Isaiah 61, 20. I rejoice in the Lord. 
I exalt in God. He has clothed me the garments of salvation, wrapped me in a robe of righteousness as a groom wears a turban and a bride adorns herself with jewels. You've never seen people come to a wedding altar just like they came out of the field working. They work a long time trying to get to looking nice and some of them it takes a while, doesn't it? But you come to the altar at your very best. Men dressed nice and the woman dressed nice. You want to be your best. The Bible says when God bought me, he didn't just throw me leftovers. It says he gave me a robe of righteousness and a ring of the family on my finger and sandals for my feet. And he's given me a great name, the name Christian. But that's not all. A slave owner gave you a house. Now granted in slavery, if you've ever been to a plantation, those slave quarters were pretty pitiful. Sometimes just barely, barely hanging together, holding together. Many times there were holes between the boards on the side. And certainly sometimes the boards didn't come together on the roof. So when it rained, water would come right down on you. When it snowed, snow would come right in on that slave. But at least a place they could go at night. And the master said, you sleep in there. There's an old straw mattress and very, very meager stuff at your house. That's not the kind of master I serve. My, my master's promised me a new house, and boy, is it glorious. I grew up in a pastorium. Y'all know what that is? Back in the day, churches didn't give ministers housing allowances. They'd build a house right next door to the church and say, that's where you and your family are going to live. I grew up next door to First Baptist Church, Broken Era. Our house was here. There's a driveway there connected to church and, and let us get into our carport. That's where people would come to drop off stuff in the education building. And right there, 18, 20 feet from our carport, what, what was the church? I grew up in a pastorium. Now listen, pastoriums are not plush. <laughs> it wasn't bad. I mean, it's as good as they could provide, but it is no mansion. But that's where I grew up. You know what the Bible says? I got a good master. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you because in my father's house, there are many mansions. That's not a shack out back. That's not a shanty on the edge of heaven. He said, you're going to be right off the main street of the city in a mansion prepared for you by the Son of God. That's a good master. You know what else the Bible says? I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to give you a new garment. I'm going to give you a new house. And then he says, I'm going to give you good food to eat. Food for a slave was not good. They got the fat off the ham. They got the bones to make soup. They got the, the poorest of the poor. But that's out of that they were very inventive and they made some of the finest tasting food out of nothing. I got a good master. He's not going to give me leftovers. The Bible says I'm going to give you to eat of the hidden manna. That's not, a, that's not a bread. That's the bread of life, Jesus Christ. He says when you get to heaven, your sustenance comes from the very hand of the Son of God. I've been bought with a price. I'm a part of the family of God. But secondly, you're bound to the master. You see, you didn't, serve a, you didn't just serve the master when it suited you. You, you didn't get up and say, boy, it's going to be 110 out there in the cotton field day, master. I don't think we ought to have to work today. He said, get out there. How early we got to start? You better be up before daylight. You're going to work it well in the dark. Some of y'all never worked around cotton. When I was a boy growing up in West Tennessee, they'd hire some of us kids to do some of that, and I didn't do it much. That's hard work. You know what chopping cotton is? Made? They give you a hoe and there's a long row of cotton and you go between each plant and you, you hoe the weeds out from between the cotton. That'll bless you. 
When I was a boy, they, they would hire kids on weekends to do cotton picking. In fact, the schools around us had closed for six weeks. They'd start just a little before Labor Day and get to mid, late September until the end of October because that's cotton picking. Schools would turn out because all the daddies needed the boys and girls to be out there in the field picking cotton. You wore this big old sack around you. It trailed behind you because it, it fit in the row and you go bowl by bowl. You ever pick cotton? They didn't care if it was 110 or 125. It is hot out there. You pick that cotton, you put it in that bag. And that bag, the more you pick, the better you are, the heavier that gets. At the end of the row, you dump that bag out and you start over and go again until till it gets dark. You think he cared about your benefit package? You think a slave owner cared whether or not you had a weekend off? The Bible says God is better than that. See, I'm bound to my master. I didn't remember this, but in Leviticus 25, I always thought when Israel got out of Egypt, they were just so glad to be free. They just thought, I'm finally free. I can do what I want to. No. Leviticus 25, here's what it says. I like this verse. Listen to this. It's to me that the people of Israel are servants. They are my servants. I bought them out of the land of Egypt. You know what happened? You were under one master of slavery and the master of absolute love came and found you while you were yet in sin, planning your next sin. Romans 5, 8 says, while I was committing my sin, God demonstrated his love toward me while I was in the very act and planning my next one. Christ died for me. The Bible says you and I are servants of the Most High God, bought by him, bound by him. And then I want to tell you, we're not only bought and bound, we're marked. You see, the truth is, we don't bear in our marks our slavery because our master did. This is the part that blows my mind. I, I, I'm the one that committed the sins. I'm the one with the bad attitudes. I'm the one whose mouth has spoken ill. I, I'm the one who has thoughts that turn the air blue. You know what Jesus did for me? And did for you? He said, I don't want you to have to bear the marks. The Bible says they stripped him naked, not, not me. And they walked him down the Via Dolorosa carrying a big old cross after they'd lashed his back, not mine. Slaves often dealt with beatings. Jesus took mine for me. And the Bible says when it was time, they, they tied a rope around him and pulled him out like an old slave, leading him through the streets of Jerusalem with a cross, tied to his cross being tied to his back. And that old cross rubbing that, rubbing that area had been lacerated by the whip already. It's raw and hurting. And that old purple robe sticking to it. Now the cross rubbing it. Boy, that was painful. And then he got to the cross. He said, I don't want you to be marked. You, you know, in, in slavery, owners would mark their slaves either with a cut on the ear or, or sometimes they'd literally take a hot iron and, and heat it like they're going to brand a cow and they'd put their mark on an arm or on the chest or on the back of a slave. Why? If they ever ran away, all the master had to do is say, he's my slave. Take off his shirt. I'll show you. And there's his brand. Can you imagine? Jesus said, I'll take your mark for you here. Put, put, here, give me your nail. Put, put it right there. Here, give, give me your nail. Put it right here. Give, give me your nail. Put, put it right here in my feet. Here, give me your spear. Put it right here in my side. You know what? You and I are, have no marks. You know why? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He left me white as snow, pure. I'm bound to my master. I'm bought by my master. I've been marked for salvation by my master. 
I'm amazed that God has a marvelous plan to draw us to Himself. And He'd take the sadnesses of life and weave them into a quilt for His glory. And when you look back, you can say, Jesus led me all the way. Slavery's awful. I, I can't imagine... I can't imagine being born into slavery and you know your whole life you'll never leave. The, the Bible says there was a group of people that could leave, however. It says those who back then went bankrupt, they would serve a man for seven years and then it was required, you've got to let him go. So if you got in trouble and it was second year, third year of having bad crop, you said, sir, you've loaned me seed, you've loaned me money. I'm 30 years in a row, we've got a drought. I can't pay you. The guy said, well, you know the penalty you got to serve me for seven years and your wife will serve me and your children will serve me and that's how you pay your debts. Y'all are owned by me for seven years. And the Bible says on the seventh year, after you've paid your debts, you can go free unless, unless a man said, you don't understand, I've got a really good master. And he goes to see his master when it's time to go free and he says to his master, sir, you've been so kind to me and your wife has been so kind to my wife and, and you've treated my children like they're your own. And really, I've always struggled trying to make it. And I've done better as your slave than I ever did on my own. You're not mean. You don't beat us. You don't treat us with disrespect. You show us courtesy. And you, you've got given us a nice place to live. And you've given us clothes to wear and marvelous food to eat. And, and you treat us with respect, sir. I don't want to go free. Master said, wait a minute, you're telling me though you could go free, you don't want to be free. No, sir. Well, you understand if you serve me now, it's by your choice and it's for life. Yes, sir, I understand. He says, okay, we got to go to the courthouse. Where was the courthouse in biblical times? If you go to a courthouse square in a small town, you say, well, the courthouse is right in the middle of town. Then it was at the gates of the city. So if you were a stranger or a resident, you said, I, I need to go arbitrate a land matter. I, I need to get something settled. This guy stole from me. You'd go to the judges, the elders, who sat in the city gate. So everybody would say, where do we find those people to make rulings? Everybody knew. You'd go to the front gate of the city. They're, they're there every day. And so the master would take the slave. He says, I don't want to be free. He said, then you've got to go with me. We've got to tell the court. And they stand before the elders and one of the elders say, can I help? Yes, sir. This man has been serving me these seven years and it's time for him to go free, but he doesn't want to leave. And the elder would say to the man, are you serious? You're willing to be a slave for the rest of your life to this man? He'd say, boy, am I. He said, he's been so good to me. I don't want to leave him. He's taken care of me and my family. I want to be his for life. The Bible says in Exodus 21, the elders would say then to the master, sir, you know what to do, slave. You know what you got to do. Yes, sir. They'd go back to their house, and the owner of the house would take all his slaves and put in the yard, and all his family would stand in, in, in attendance so they could all see it. And they make the announcement this man and his wife and his children said they want to serve me of their own volition for the rest of his life. Sir, is that your testimony? Yes, sir, it is. Then I need you to step forward. Another slave would step forward and put his ear up against the doorpost of the front door. The owner of the house would take a leather punch. Have you ever seen a leather punch? About that big around. And he'd put it right here in his ear. They hit one end sharp. and take a hammer. He'd drive that leather all right there through his Exodus 21. Drive that leather all through this part of his ear. Why? First of all, if he ever goes anywhere, you see a hole that size of a man's ear. You don't have to ask if you're a servant. The only question is, who do you serve? Who's your master? You know what he'd say? Sit down let me tell you about him. The reason I want to serve him for life, he's been so good to me. Isn't that what Christians are supposed to do when people say, boy, you seem so happy and so blessed. Why? If you got a minute, can I tell you about how good my master is? So secondly, why would he have his ear punched? 
what he was really saying, why did God require it be the ear? What, what the testimony is, this is the ear is where we hear commands. And when you have your ear punch, what you're really saying is, from this day forward, I'm not going to listen to anybody else that wants to tell me what to do. I belong to one master. Today, from this day forward, I pray the only words I really hear are the voice of my master and I obey quickly. Isn't that what a Christian is supposed to do? Lord, I heard you calling. I will follow you. Tell me what you'd have me to do. But there's something else. The Bible says when a man has served his life, a slave many times would get so old he was ineffective. He could go to the field, but he just couldn't produce. He was just too old. If he had a good master, the master would say to him, now I know you're getting older. Next year I'm going to set you free. If you stay with me, I'm going to set you free. And a good master would say, I'm going to get you a little place and I'm going to give you a little bit of money. It wouldn't be much. I'm going to give you a cow or a couple of cows and you can start on your own. And the day would come when that slave who served his master all his life could finally go out free. The Bible says one day I'm going to be able to come in the presence of my master free at last. No more burdens, no more pain, no more sorrow, suffering anymore forever in the presence of the king. You, you know, being a servant and a slave was not good unless you got a really, really good master. Several years ago, y'all are always good to send me different things on Facebook or in emails. You say, Pastor, here's a good illustration. And a lot of them I can use. They really are good stories. And even many of those I can't use right then, they're good stories. But somebody back there, I don't remember when, some years ago, sent me a, a, a video of Wintley Phipps. He came to be one of my favorite singers. He's an African-American, handsome man. He evidently works out. He very, very, looks really good in his suits. I mean, very sleek and trim. And, and, and when he sings, it's like all, all of heaven and earth just open. He's got one of those rich, rich voices that God gives to certain people that when they sing, it just moves heaven and earth. Whitley Phipps is an African-American singer. He does a marvelous job singing Christian songs. In this particular video you sent me, he was in a concert hall and the room was packed out. And Wintley Phipps stood in this nice suit and he was about to sing. And he said, I want to tell you a story, African-American man. I want to tell you a story. He, he said, there's a hymn, and I'm going to add lib this part. There's a hymn that we listen to today. Whenever there's a tragedy or a need, we, we hear this hymn played and we think of it. We just expect it. There's a, there'll be somebody come out with bagpipes and they'll start that um, on those pipes. And then he'll come that mournful and yet comforting sound of, of a melody that we've come to expect to hear whenever there's a 9-11 or when there's a, a horrible tragedy. We just expect to hear the bagpipes play that song. Wentley Phipps said, years ago, I went to the uh, Library of Congress and looked up the song Amazing Grace, and he said, here's what I found. He said, Amazing Grace says, lyrics by John Newton. He was a slave trader, converted by Jesus, and became a preacher and songwriter. Lyrics by John Newton. Melody unknown. Meaning, don't know where it came from. Wentley Phipps, African-American, said, I, I don't know where it came from either, but I'm going to speculate. He, he said, I believe, because it sounds awful, an awful lot like an ancient, uh, an African, West African chant. He said, I believe John Newton, because history says John Newton, though he was saved, never could forgive himself for what he did to men. If you've ever seen any of those movies or reading books about slavery and slave transportation from Africa to either America or, or Europe, it was, it was brutal. 
They strip a man down to next to nothing, if not nothing, and chain him just as close as they could side by side to make a trip laying down across the ocean to get to where they're going. And men many times would throw up and nobody's there to clean it up and you didn't have a toilet. You just used the bathroom right where you lay. And you can imagine 90 days of that going across any ocean. It's, it's filthy and many died before they ever got to the shore. Wintley Phipps, as he shares about this story, said, I, I really believe, his, in fact, this part we can document. John Newton used to wake up in the night. He said, though Christ had forgiven him, he said, I'd wake up and be in a cold sweat because I was sure I could hear the people, the, the men wailing and groaning down the belly of the boat. Though I'd not been a ship's captain for years, I couldn't get those sounds and those sights and those smells and those cries and those pleas for help and, and the horror of those men down the belly of that boat. That Those sounds wouldn't leave me. Be hard to some of you. It's hard for some of you to forget what you were when God found you, isn't it? And Newton said, though I preached the gospel, I realized that what I did to people is beyond man's ability to ever forgive. And so he'd wake up in the night and he'd think of those slaves. And Wintley Phipps said, wouldn't it be something when we get to heaven? We find out that those slaves who, not every ship, but some slave ships said, listen, if we're going to get to the point where there's no wind, we don't want to sit dead still. So they'd make cuts in the ship the size an oar could slip through. And they were very long oars and they would be designed to be pulled by two men. And so if they hit dead water, a dead wind, whether the boat wasn't moving in the water, they'd put an oar out and they'd put slaves and put them on little tiny benches and chain them to each other, which you think, where are they going? Chain them to a bench and chain them to the oar like they're going somewhere. And then a ship's mate would stand in front of them and all they can see is the back of the man in front of them and they smell the guy beside them and they were to pull until the master said stop, until the ship's mate said stop and they're just pulling, trying their best to move forward a big old boat. Wintley Phipps said, wouldn't it be something? Wouldn't it be something if the first, if John Newton, when he woke up at night, could hear the sounds of a West African chant that when they pulled... Many times, as you know, slaves would sing a song to just kind of ease their misery best they could. He said, wouldn't it be something if when that man was hollering, Paul! Paul! If they heard, if John Newton could hear those slaves, and maybe he remembered this West African melody. Mm-hmm. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Wouldn't it be something if God, when Newton was praying, said, God, I can't get those men and that song and that suffering off my mind. You've forgiven me, but I can't forgive me. God, what I did to other people is beyond my ability. I, I can't forgive me. Wouldn't it be something if God said, then John Newton, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take that melody born out of the suffering of slaves and I'm going to marry it to the words of a song you're going to write about what you experienced when you were saved. And so now when a bagpipe plays that melody, wouldn't it be something we get to heaven and found out it first was heard from the lips of slaves in the belly of a boat? And John Newton, a slave trader, said, I could never get that haunting melody out of my mind, but God redeemed me and I want to redeem that song. And so he wrote these words. Amazing grace. <laughs> How sweet the sound <laughs> saved a wretch 
like me. <laughs> I once was lost, but now I'm found. <laughs> I was blind, but now I see. Isn't it amazing that in America's most difficult times of national suffering, we pull on a song that we don't even know the source of the melody. And too many today, they're lost, have no clue of the meaning of the words. And yet in our time of suffering, because one man could never forgive himself, he took the sounds of slavery, matched it to the words of grace, and the servants of God now sing it as their anthem of praise. One of these days, I don't know when. Could be today. I'm not guaranteed lunch. One of these days, I'm going to round that last corner of life, and I'm going to enter that big throne room of God Almighty. I, I'm 64. Could be today. Maybe it's 70. Maybe it's 85, 100. I don't know. But I know for sure as I'm standing here one day, I'm going to enter the throne room of the God of glory. And in that moment, my first response are tears in my eyes. How do I know? It says when we get these, he's going to have to wipe them away. Why am I crying here? Because I'm overwhelmed. God, this is too great <laughs> that you would do all this for the likes of us. He said, it may be too much for you, but it's just about right for me to reflect my glory. He says, come here, let me wipe those tears away. You don't need them up here. There's no sorrow, no pain, no suffering, no separation, no slavery anymore forever. I'm going to fall on my face in front of the king of glory. <laughs> He's going to say, get up. Get up. You know what long to hear two words, well done. Why, why would he say well done? Because that's what a master said to the slave who served him all of his life. And he came to that day of being set free and have his own cow and his own little house. It's a little money in his pocket to get started. And his promise was, if you serve me faithfully one day, I I'm going to set you free. The Bible says I'm free forever through Christ my Lord. The truth has set me free. But when I stand before him, he's not going to say, well done, Baptist preacher. Well done, Daddy. Well done, Mother. Well done, Sunday school teacher. Well done, Deacon. Well done, school teacher. Well, well done. Well done, Doctor, Lawyer. Well done, Hourly Worker. He's not going to say that. He didn't call me to be a preacher first. He called me first to be his servant. The Bible says one day, <laughs> when I stand before him, He's going to stand and say, he's going to greet me by saying, well done, thou good and faithful what? Servant. As for you, don't seek the title rabbi. You have one teacher, Jesus. You're just brothers. Don't call anyone on earth your father. You have a father, the one that's in heaven. Don't let anybody call you master. You have one master. He's called the Messiah. You want to be great? You want to be remembered? You'll make a real mark in life. The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself is going to be humbled. 
that whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Pray with me, would you do that? Father, we don't intend to be arrogant. We're just good at it. We don't mean to exalt self, but we talk about self in this generation so much, we think that's normal. We forget that the call of God is to deny ourselves. We don't do that well. In fact, we deny ourselves daily and take up a cross daily and follow Christ. We don't do that well at all. We love to boast about our job and our latest purchase or acquisition, the trip we got to take, or how smart our children or grandchildren are, or how big the boat is we bought, or how big the new car is and all the bells and whistles. are. We, we do good at bragging. We don't do good always at serving. And some of us just serve yet our convenience. Lord, I got an hour today. I came to church. You ought to be happy. A slave didn't show up for an hour. He showed up before sun, sun up and served all through the day until dark. When we go to the office, that's our place of service. When we go to school, that's our place of service. When we show up in the community on a sports event, that's our place of service. Where we are, we're a servant of God if we're truly a Christian. And there's some here this morning, I'm quite sure, this ready to say, Brother Nick, I'm 